Hello, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be continuing my Beach Party movie series with the bottom of the list, Pajama Party. This is Sydney. I will be continuing my Disney attraction series, specifically boat rides, with Disney World's Animal Kingdom, Pandora Boat Ride, The Navi River Journey. Wow, that's a mouthful. That is a yeah. mouthful. <laughs> For a short ride. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'll get into that later. <laughs> this is Beth. And this month I'm going to be talking about Christmas in July. So I'm going to be talking about some Christmas in July traditions that you could participate in. Yay! Love very Christmas. fun. Very fun. Uh, we start with our holiday happenings. I know one holiday happening was last week was Leon Day. So what is Leon Day? It is halfway to Christmas. It's June 25th. And it is Noel spelled backwards. That's right. Right, so we're halfway yes. there. That's right. And um, let's see, that day, me and Mom watched A Christmas Story, so that was super fun. It was so fun. We love that movie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So much snow. We, we were so jealous. We were so jealous. <laughs> we were so jelly. And uh, me and Mom have been listening to Christmas music, which we always start in June. Yeah. Not July. Right. <laughs> well, it yeah. is Leon Day in June. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I think you went through the history of Christmas in July last week. Yeah. But why they didn't do it in June? Because June was Leon Day. Right. And it would make a lot of sense. But in July is when it's really starting to heat up quite a bit. And I think that thought of nice, cool, cold weather is a nostalgic mm. when the really hot weather. And in the opposite, end of the earth in um you mean the underside of the earth yeah in australia and new zealand and south africa it's probably colder in july than it would have been in june so when you do christmas in july it's not six months from christmas it's right five months from the next christmas seven months from the last christmas but it is um weather wise it's, it's a nice break or it's nice if you're south of the equator to have it in the cold as I saw people post about Leon Day on the 25th of June, some people were saying that it's a good day for crafters to remind themselves that they have six months left to get whatever craft items <laughs> done yeah. that they want for Christmas for you know whoever they're going to make them for. Ah. It's so interesting because I'm not going to talk about it this week. I'm going to talk about it next week. But the do-it-yourself Christmas projects... That's one of the things the Christmas in July folks were talking about. They were like, you know, this is the month that, like this one lady was saying that her mom makes so many beautiful wreaths for Christmas and half of them she does in July. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so I guess it's just it's thematic. She just yeah. gets excited in July. But yeah, you have this time period between now and Christmas, if you're going to make tags, which I love to do, and never well, have time at yeah. Christmas. Well, for, this is really for the planners. Yes, it is. is. That's right. Um, Also, I noticed when I went to Target this week that there was almost no 4th of July kind of patriotic things out anymore. There was this tiny little cart of them that was left over from Memorial Day. It was the same exact ones. And the school supplies have shown up in the corner where, like, they normally put the holiday things in heavy quantity. Right. It's interesting because it's like the beginning of summer. Yes. Normally, I think they wait till after the 4th, but... I think so. Maybe they just got tired of they got, the deck. They skipped in there. All yeah. the summer items, like the chairs and the all the summer stuff back like there. pool noodles and stuff. Yeah, are had. all, like, on sale. Like, either gone, they're gone or they're on... What's left is on sale. That's interesting. Really early this year. Yeah. yeah. 
And even though we're talking about Christmas in July and we're talking about school, uh, summer has just really begun. Yeah, literally. <laughs> right. Not too long ago. Yeah. And we um, have had our hottest weeks um, oh. this past week. And, and I know next this coming week is supposed to be hot as well. So there we have it. So heat and then there are bugs that come with that. Yes. And bleh. And with heat comes beaches and beach vacations. <laughs> I know a number of people that I am friends with and that I work with are heading to the beach. Mm. Because it's actually a pretty simple way to stay socially distanced if you're careful. You can have a beach vacation away from people if you go places that there aren't a million other people out there. So it depends on what beach you're going to. Yes, exactly. Yes, Pictures I've seen that they've posted um, look like they're pretty... Deserted, so they must have picked some yeah, better some good ones, yeah. locations, right? That's smart. Yep. And this week's beach party movie is actually a pajama party. Now, when I saw this, I thought, well, it's not going to be a, really a beach movie. But it ends up that the place that they have the pajama party is this huge house that is right next to the, the ocean. Yeah. Right? So they, they go to the beach. They play volleyball. They do lots of stuff on the beach, even though it's called pajama party. Uh, this is the fourth in the API Beach Party movies. Uh, although this is the sixth one that I've covered, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, so sixth funny. one that I've covered. And this is when um, things get really crazy. I mentioned in the beginning that this is often rated the worst beach party movie. Fortunately for us, next week's beach party movie will be the best beach party. Oh, that's interesting. So we go from the bottom uh, to the top. And I will say this was a little harder to watch. Really? Yeah, it was it was pretty out there. It yeah. was silly. It but was they very are, silly. They are they tend to be silly in general anyway. I only saw a couple scenes, but it seemed very amusing. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, pretty silly. And as I mentioned before, these just get kind of sillier and sillier along the way. So here's a synopsis of the Film and Beth, you jump in if you can think of things that you thought were interesting as well. So, teenaged Martian, right? Martian, person from Mars. Teenage <laughs> Martian intelligence officer 006, whose name is Gogo, is being sent to Earth um, as a preliminary scout for an upcoming Martian invasion. Um, so, he's sent to Earth, although there is some debate whether or not he's the best person for the job. But they thought, well, this is kind of an easier job, so we'll give it to him and let him do it. So he's sent to Earth. He decides to um, kind of put on the clothes he thinks based on what he's watched on TV. He gets TV out at Mars. Um, he thinks they wear. So he's got basically this bellhop uniform on, uh, like in a hotel. Uh, so he heads to um, Earth uh, using this little backpack thing. And the first Earthling he runs into is this older lady named Aunt Wendy who's an eccentric widow who's very wealthy and runs a dress shop. She um, meets Gogo, basically Gogo, um, again, the Martian's name, comes down and he has this contraption he's wearing. It's like a jetpack. It's like a jetpack, but it's stuck. It can't land. So he asks her for help (laughs) in landing. So she lends, like holds up a rake and pulls him down, basically. Um, And then, so now she basically is uh, super happy to see him. She really is like an extrovert. Like, she's like, oh, let's, you know, take you in. And and he's trying to, he's basically saying, hey, look, I'm a Martian and there's a Martian invasion coming. And I'm a scout for that. He's very honest. She's like, oh, that's nice. You know, I talk to my flowers. You talk to your uh, Martian friends. We're both good. Right? So they were... They were both good with that. So and she really, like, she enjoys the teenagers yeah, a she, lot. She so likes- she's very happy to bring people in and... 
Yes. So he, uh, so she brings him into the house, and she doesn't really like his name, so she renames him George. Uh, and she says, "You really, uh, being a teenager, you should get on a swimsuit and go down to the beach because that's where all, of, like my nephew and all his friends are down by the beach." Um, so that's where he heads. He meets her nephew, whose name is Big Link, who's super interested in volleyball, like mind-numbingly interested in volleyball, um, and has little time or interest in romance, even though he has a girlfriend named Connie. Huh. Connie is Annette Funicello. That's right. So this is the first time Annette is not Dolores or Dee Dee, oh. and is not with uh, Frankie Avalon. We'll talk more about that later. So that's one plot. Martian invasion... Martian Scott coming down. He's going to be the mechanism that transports the other Martians down through this, like, mechanism that looks like a radio. So then uh, Aunt Wendy has a neighbor whose name is J, period, like J, like, so it could be James or something. Middle name is Sinister. Last name is Hulk. J, Sinister, Hulk. And he has this gang, which is really just a, a few people, who uh, basically come up with a scheme to rob Aunt Wendy's home from all this cash that she has. Rude. Yes. They've heard about the cash. So that's the second plot. Like, if they just picked one plot and kind of focus on it, it would have been better. You know, the Martian plot is pretty big. Yeah. You would think <laughs> you <know>? so. But <laughs> they like this, like, overlapping plot combination thing. Subplot to all that, guess who's back? Eric Von Zipper, what? motorcycle gang uh, leader, and all the gang is back. That's right. And they want to get revenge against the beach kids because, okay, so in, let me go back a little bit. In Jay Sinister's Hulk, Jay Sinister Hulk's gang, there's a Native American. A very stereotypical one. Very okay. stereotypical. <laughs> it would not oh, be gosh. cool today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes. There is a stereotypical woman named Helga who only. The um, Native American can understand and speak to, even though why uh, Helga is like from Sweden, yeah, and he's a Native American. I don't and know when how they translate <laughs> exactly, and when what he's able to do, there's not really like he's not saying anything that's really that difficult to, to figure out. Yeah. So, um, but somehow they understand each other, and um, and they use Helga and her good looks. To try to get information about Aunt Wendy's home. Mm. Alright. So the reason Eric Von Zipper gets involved is because for a little bit Helga thinks Eric Von Zipper is the nephew. And she tries to plug him for information by being really sweet and kissing him, uh, kissing him and things like that. So he, he falls in love. They fall in love so easily in these movies, oh, right? Teenagers. With her. <laughs> and when she realizes that she, it's the wrong guy, she leaves him and goes after a uh, big link. So Verifron Zipper gets mad about that. That's why they want revenge against the the beach kids. All right. So that's the other subplot. Now, is it Big Link or Big Lunk? When they were saying it, they I thought they were saying Big Lunk, but yeah. maybe they were saying Big Link. It I, sounded like Big Lunk. It's written both ways, so I actually don't know what is the correct one. I think if they had said Big Link, we would have heard Ink. Yeah, I, I think, think it, I think it was Big Lunk. Yeah, so it should. If I said Link before, it should be Big Lunk, which makes more sense for who he is. Exactly. It's kind of like yeah. a, it doesn't have a like lot. a lunkhead. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't yeah. have a lot going on upstairs there. Yeah. <laughs> so Connie, because Big Lunk isn't paying attention to her, she then falls for guess who. Go-Go. Go-Go. George. George. <laughs> right? And at first, George is kind of... He doesn't understand Earth romance and things like right. that. But over time, he 
comes to fall for her, mm-hmm. right? The plot uh, for against Aunt Wendy's, you know, basically throughout the movie, they're just trying to find information about where the money is being held. And they actually show in one scene, Aunt Wendy goes through the process to uh, basically get to the money. And it is a very elaborate process yeah, to get to the money. <laughs> wall safe. Right? Yeah. It basically involves thumbprints and spinning different things in her in room. Um, room. Multiple sets of alarms go off and she has to get to them to turn them off oh, wow. um, each time. So it was like... It's like crazy. It yeah. is crazy. And they keep thinking Big Lunk knows this information. So they do all this work to finally get... I mean, it takes forever for them to finally get him alone. They get a, this microphone on Helga so she can record. They're recording only to find out that... Aunt Wendy knows that he's not the brightest guy, so she's not going to tell him. Yeah. So she basically, it's all for naught. She doesn't <laughs> trust him with the information. Could have saved money on the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yes. All the elaborate planning. Oh, my gosh. The Scooby-Doo planning that they were doing. Yeah. So, uh, But at the same time, Helga kind of starts to like Big Lump. So he actually does pay attention to her versus his girlfriend, Connie. Or any not, other girl. Or he any just, other girl. He just sounds like a jerk. Yeah, kind of. Uh, he was just, you know, back then there's a there was the term a lunkhead, and he just it was. I mean, he was just big. Theoret- I mean, he was good looking. He was supposed to be good looking, big, and um, Helga had very limited speaking capability as far as English. Most of her lines were yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, also very politically correct. Exactly. And, this, and the Native American, it would have been really hard for you to watch. What year was this? Do you know? 1964. 1964. Oh, so it was very much, I mean, it was very incredibly politically terribly <laughs> Not incorrect. Cool. <laughs> Not cool. Not cool just, at all. It was, yeah. So, you would have had a hard time watching it. Go Go, George, keeps telling Connie, I'm from Mars, and she starts to think he's crazy until he shows her that he has these powers, basically, mm-hmm. that Martians have with this transmitter like, stick. Basically, yeah, it's basically a wand. And Wendy, like, basically says, Oh, he's a magician, right? Thinking right. he's like a stage act. But Connie realizes, Oh, no, this, this is real. So then she's like, not into him at all. So right. that that's when he realizes, oh, wait, I have feelings towards her, yeah. right? So he's rethinking the invasion thing, uh-huh. right? So then the gang, the sinister gang, just goes into the house and tries to, they're like, okay, we're just going to go in and try to find him. <laughs> well, I mean, at least they have been polite. Like, yes, the gangs in general would have just broken in the first place. Yes. So they break in. About the same time the invasion is supposed to happen, Ooh. right? And Von Zipper all you know comes combines. They like this combination kind of thing yeah, at they the like end the because yeah. Martians invading Earth isn't a interesting enough plot. No, <laughs> so then uh, it kind of all comes together. They break in, but George and Big Lunk get their time to stop the right. robbery. The attempted robbery. The attempted never robbery. Find it. Yeah, and George decides to stop the invasion as well and sends the. Sinister gang to Mars. Mm, uh, right. So he sends them back, basically. Yeah. And then he decides he wants to stay with Connie. Big Lunk wants to stay with Helga. Yeah. And Connie is now his people. So you know how the Martians are his people? Uh, uh, Connie is now his people. Uh, so yeah. she, he's choosing her over his, you know, Martians. His oh. Right. And the Martians can see everything that's going on with him. Oh, yeah, they hilarious. can see. They have yeah. complete insight into it. What he's doing. So, so they, it's like a TV up there. Right. So, so 
when he turns against the Martians, he basically does the worst thing he could think of, which is send the Sinisters gang up there. That's the worst thing he could think <laughs> yeah. of. So, um, and then the and then Eric von Zipper and, and crew basically he gets frozen again and he gets taken away. Frozen this time by the Martian. At least not by himself. Yeah, although it, it is consistent, right? So that's the kind of plot summary. I don't know if it's anything else. But I will say there was a lot more singing. Uh, even though it sounds like a lot of plot, it wasn't really a lot of plot. No. I mean, it was, there were very weak plots. Very weak we plots. We might be making it sound a little better than what it is. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, so let's talk about the cast. So obviously, Annette Funicello was Connie. Now, instead of Frankie Avalon, it was Tommy Kirk as Gogo. And then who were some of the other people that were there? And Don Rickles was um, the Martian that we saw all the time. We right. saw the back of someone's head, but he's the one that we talked about a lot. And he didn't like Gogo. Right. And he didn't think he was the right person to send down. Right. But he was overruled. Right. Do you know who the uh, Native American was? Not really a Native American. Uh, well, that's I, shocking. Yeah, I think shocking. you'll recognize this name. From Silent Movie Days, Buster Keaton. Oh, wow. Yep. So Buster Keaton, for those of you who don't know, was a famous silent movie star. He struggled when the talking movies came. He struggled some, and then he kind of uh, was able to come back after a struggle and get into some other movies. But this was, I think, the second to last movie he made till, until he passed away. I don't blame him. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised this wasn't the last. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty crazy. Yes. And then who was the Martian... Who all we could see was his back of his head until the very end. To the very last scene, Frankie Avalon. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah isn't that Dad guessed it. Yeah, so when he we was... Were, when we were there, we kept seeing the back of his head. He said, I bet that's Frankie Avalon. So he yeah. was right. Yes. Donna Lauren, who sang in two other um, films, also sang in this one. And this was actually the first movie she had where she also spoke. She had like lines that she had to speak. So that was interesting. And she was, She's just adorable. She yeah, does she a, and she's a good singer. So, interestingly, uh, famed animator Joseph Barbera. Do you recognize that name? Oh, yeah, Barbera, yeah. From Hannah and Barbera cartoons, right? So, he wrote a romantic comedy play, which debuted in Los Angeles in 1952, called The Maid and the Martian, which was about Captain Darrow, a scout from Mars who goes to Earth to help plan an invasion, but falls in love with a girl from Earth. Wow, very similar. Well, well, this is the play from which the movie was based. Ah. So they announced they were going to make a movie from it, but then none of the people that wrote the Made in the Martian were actually credited for anything. So there seems like they decided later to not credit this film based on that play at all. Even though Annette Funicello recorded a song titled The Maid and the Martian for her pajama party record. <laughs> so, but there was no like connection made from a credits perspective between that. So that was kind of weird. I'm surprised they were not well, required. It was a different time back then. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess you could just choose to do that, huh? Yes, exactly. And then, uh, let's see. So this is the only one of the Beach Party films that Annette Funicello is named Connie. Uh, there's some other famous people that are making their debuts. Two pajama girls, Tony Basil and Terry Gar. Oh, <laughs> is that funny? I remember Terry, Terry Gar. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. that you say that. Yes. Goldie Hawn's first husband, Gus Traconis, was a pajama boy in the film. That's hilarious. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. There's a, a number of other names that appeared later. Either they were actors or they became producers or, like, they... But this was one of the areas they started. So I, I kind of wondered, why were there Martians in this yeah. film at all? Very so, good thing to wonder. So if you look back at the history of 
Martians in writing and TV, it actually begins to spike in the 50s. So what was going on in the 50s? The space race, right? So that's when we started, us and the Russians started sending uh, rockets and then people in rockets into space. So that's kind of interesting. In 1961 is when President Kennedy said, we're going to send man to the moon, right? And with that came a number of novels about space Mm -hmm. and about aliens we would find, and specifically about Martians coming from Mars. And there's kind of different camps. This movie had Martians as people, right? They look just like us, right? Right, right. Uh, But other books and things have them as little green men and and that sort of thing as well. big green men. Right. So it's interesting. I actually found a a couple places online where you could track the writing of Martians and like the quantity of that over time. That's so funny. So you could see that in the 50s and the 60s, the amount of discussion about Martians um, was going up really fast, even much faster than aliens in general, specifically Martians, along the way. And then there was a number of TV shows that then started to add Martians into the mix. Uh, so that's why this one also had Martians, because it was a topical thing. Later in the 70s, Happy Days did the same thing, where they added York, an right? alien. That's right, Robin Williams uh, of Orc, because... Uh, that was when we were landing men on the moon, yeah. right? And it became a, a popular thing again. So uh, Happy Days added them in as well. So kind of a fun little side thing about why why in the world would you listen to a beach party movie? Yeah, and it was very red. The the planet, yes, the set that they were that Don Rickles and uh, Frankie Avalon were sitting in. It was a table and Don Rickles and red. Yeah, lots of red. Yeah, it was very simple. It was. It was. I will say there were some interesting songs, too. There was one song that was talking about stuffed animals are better than boys. Do you remember yeah. that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that uh, Annette sang. So yeah. just lots of music. Uh, not all of it was great. No. <laughs> some it of it was... was the beach-related uh, beach music tended to be good. So, But I'm looking forward to next week's um, movie Beach Blanket Bingo. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yes, that's the, the best one of the series, okay. supposedly. Oh, well, speaking of aliens, <laughs> good move from Mars, thanks, to Disney World Animal Kingdom in Pandora, uh, I will be specifically talking about the Navi River Journey Ride. It's kind of a long name because I'm including where it's located, right. <laughs> but the Navi River Journey um, is basically a slow-moving boat ride through Pandora's bioluminescent rainforest. So it it's very dim. It's during the night, not the day. Um, guests float past Pandora's exotic animals and glowing plants on their way to the Shaman of Songs. The Navi River Journey is one of the two attractions found at Pandora, the world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. So for a little bit of context, if you have never watched the movie Avatar... Pandora is an alien world in the movie Avatar. Its lush environment, spectacular visuals, and gorgeous bioluminescent night visuals made for a unique and creative challenge slash project for Disney's Imagineers. Pandora is the home of the Navi, the native aliens of the planet. They also have a lot of other creatures too, but these natives are the ones that interact with the humans the most. The story occurs in a 22-century-like era where humans go to Pandora for research and for the evildoers to gain resources from the planet. That's right. They want to basically strip the planet for resources. Yes. Very nefarious means. (laughs) 
In order to interact with the Na'vi and the planet, humans must be matched to a Na'vi avatar in order to walk around the planet and interact with its inhabitants. The movie was praised for its, frankly speaking, its groundbreaking effects and its world building. So the avatar, it doesn't have much of a creative plot. And I know Cole and I have talked about this before. It's very stereotypical plot, very straightforward. The reason why it was so popular is because of the visuals right. and the world building. And they even created their own language. Yeah, and it was uh, also, timing-wise, right when a lot of people were becoming very interested in environmental science, mm-hmm. and this was very environmentally focused. Right. right? I think you guys, uh, you and Cole, compared this to the plot of Fern Gully. Yes! <laughs> so if you've seen Fern Gully, Fern Gully, the cartoon, this plot is basically the same. Yeah. I mean... Except with aliens. Yeah. I, Except I'm also with fairies thinking, or whatever they were. Yeah. Right. I'm also thinking like a little bit like Pocahontas too. A little bit like Pocahontas. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so Disney basically took the idea of the world and the visuals, like the the floating islands right. and the bioluminescent plants and such. They yeah. took that idea and put it into a sort of world, an animal kingdom, and it's very unique. So this world came before um, Black Spire and Star Wars. So after experiencing Pandora, you kind of understand what, like how they did um, Black Spire. So the reason why I say that is because as soon as you walk into Pandora, the Disney background music completely stops. Right. You're in a different land. You are in a completely different land. You hear animals. You hear insects. Native to Pandora. Native to Pandora. That's right. Um, You see the visuals. In fact, um, as I was doing my research, one um, place reminded me that even the Fast Pass doesn't have um, a Mickey head on it. Yeah. It just has these couple of circles because they really do not want you to take you out of this world that you are currently in. Yeah, none of the merchandise is yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Disney type of merchandise. No, it's right. all uh, correct for Pandora. That's right. Yes. So it's a very unique world and they did a really fantastic job. They did. Um, I will say... It's gorgeous. I thought this was interesting. So Pandora, the world of Avatar for Disney's Animal Kingdom, was officially announced in 2011. The ambitious project was headed by Imagineer Joe Rohde, the original lead designer of Disney's Animal Kingdom Park. That's right. Yep, he came back to specifically do Pandora. And it's such a great place um, where they put it because you can transition in and out of the world of Pandora. And they have like this waterway that separates it from the rest of the park. Right. So it's a whole little section of the park that is just Pandora that you really can't hear the roller coaster, the sounds of Africa, any of that stuff nearby. Yes. Nor see it. No, which is really incredible. Right. Like I remember um, we were at Tiffin's, which is a restaurant in Animal Kingdom. Just right outside of Pandora. Right. And this is before it opened. And Dad kept trying to like like peek <laughs> to see around the trees to just see anything. Right. And we couldn't hear or see anything at right. all. And when they opened the gates, there was stuff like you could have seen had they not been super careful. Right. Because there's like big plant pods that are, mm-hmm. you know, created. Right. In there, that had they not been super careful, you would have been able to see those. Right, exactly. Pandora, the world of Avatar, has two rides. One is the Flight of Passage, and the other is the Navi River Journey, both officially open to guests on May 27, 2017, which is kind of amazing. It's, I didn't realize it was that long ago. So it is a slow moving boat ride. Unlike well, the, the river one is. The, the river run is. I'm not going to talk about Flight of Passage, but. Um, but the boat ride, you won't get any sudden 
No. Dips. No, there's no splashing. No, there's at no all. splashing. You can just go and just chill yes. and enjoy the environment. You mentioned that it was at night, but um, it's actually in inside ride, which is why so it's, it's not just at night. At night. It's right. it's during the day too, but they take you into a building. The, they take you into a building, and you're it's transformed into the a night in Pandora. Right. So, so yeah, another suggestion, which I'm glad that you mentioned that because. Um, it's suggested that if you have never gone to Pandora, at least go twice. Once during the day and once during the night. Yeah. But true. they said that if you can't go during the night, that this ride is great because you will experience just a little bit of how Pandora the world is at night. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because this um, ride has a lot of the bioluminescent, all of, like the creatures, the sounds, all yeah. of that. So... <laughs> There are actually a number of articles asking the question if it's worth going on. Yes. So so we have like stated all the beautiful visuals and it actually has a lot of technology in the ride as well. It's a lot of combination of practical sets layered with transparent screens as well as projection mapping and uh, kind of like the highlight of the ride, which is the Shaman of Songs, which is an animatronic. It's very lifelike and it even sings off key like a like an actual person would. Yeah. So it's very unique. And um, when I was doing research, I found that it's 100% electronic, unlike the animatronics and like pirates. Right, which are hydraulic, right? Right. Yeah, so this one is using the most advanced technologies. And it does, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. It does look yes. like a living creature. Yes. Just because of all the detailed movements that they've, put into the body so it's very fluid mm-hmm. and it's very uh lifelike yes and it's and it's doing a lot of gesturing yes it is nice gesturing yes. <laughs> yes. but it's there's a lot of movement it's mm-hmm. it's you think of um hawaii you know how they move their hands as they're like in a luau or something yes yeah. mm-hmm. so it's a lot of that kind of stuff she's sitting but she's moving her hands the entire time, and right. it's beautiful. And she's singing in their language, in the right. um, yes. language of the Navi, right. which they invented for the movie Avatar. So this ride is really—it's not scary. So if you have no. young kids who are afraid of the dark, typically um, even kids who don't really like the dark, they like this ride. Yes. Um, the bioluminescent is very cool. The only like not really scary part, but you do see like one of the more ferocious beasts. In the um, distance, right? In the distance, but but I mean, they're not aggressive at all or no. anything. You just see them for a moment. But it's very interesting with the projection mapping and the transparent screens. Because yeah. it really, with the transparent screens, you can see the image, but then you can also see the stuff behind it. That's so right. it really brings that um, like 3D That's right. kind of layering. Yeah, yeah, and it basically is from left all the way up over top of you to yes. the right. Like, yes. There's right. a lot to see. So if you're looking left... You're missing something above you or you're missing something to the right. So it's definitely a re-rideable ride mm-hmm. based on the fact there's so much to see. The right. first time I, Randy and I went through it, we, we just started out and he said, look up. Because I'm looking left and right and trying to get everything in. I said, what? He said, look up. And I looked up. And it was so cool. Yeah. What's above you? I'm not going to even ruin the surprise. But it's really cool what's mm-hmm. above you too. And it was yeah. just like, oh my God. Now I have to look Left, up, and right. Yeah. Right, left, and up. Right. I mean, it was just, yeah, there's a lot to see. They really take you into a whole nother world. Yes. Now, with that said, the ride is under five minutes long. Right. Yes. It's the length (laughs) of time that you're on there that is the problem. Yes. It's It's very short. It's that, but 
Time is really the problem. Okay, so it's a super short ride, but the line can be so long. Yes. Right. So long. And, so... and the um, queue line for Flights of Passage, which right. is in a mountain, right. is beautiful. It's oh long, my yeah. and there's a lot of interesting art that the yeah. Navi have done. And you're going up, yeah, so going you up. can see more the of the land. The queue line for the, the Navi <laughs> River journey is a switchback. Back, yes. forth, back, forth, with um, ceiling fans above you. Right, basically to keep you cool, but it is not interesting at all. No, no. So that's really if you have a fast pass. Yes. Yes. If you can snag a fast pass. Yes. Then that's what I think. That's when we ride it. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, we typically getting a fast pass to Navi River Journey is not hard anymore. No. It used to be hard, but now with other things like Star Wars Land Mm -hmm. and Toy Story Land, those things opening, it it's not the main thing. Mm -hmm. Plus, the passage is still pretty long. Yeah. But um, the Navi River, and if you get a fast pass, you basically bypass all those switchbacks, and you are. You, it's a great like, fast You have pass. like a 10-foot uh, line, and you are right there at the river. You can see yep. the boats, right? Yep. So you have to do a little bit from there, but not much yep. at that point. It's a, it's a great fast pass. Mm-hmm. So the, the boat is kind of interesting. It's really only meant for four people. And it's like kind of like two in the front, two in the back, or maybe four in the front, four in the back. But either way, um, you can ask a cast member to be in the front. You might have to wait a moment, but... Um, the front seat is much more is much better. Yeah. To see everything. The visuals are better. Right. No, I see what you mean. How long would you wait in line? Not no fast pass for that ride. I don't know. I would I would probably wait a half hour, but it would be That'd probably be more realistic. Yeah, I don't yeah, I fifteen minutes was what I was going for. Yeah. I thought about it half would be an hard. hour. I'd never wait half hour in the heat for that thing. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, it depends on when. Yeah, time right. of year. Because when we went through it the first time, I remember thinking this ride should have been twice as long. Yeah. Yes. Right? It really yes. should have just gone another time. Yeah. It could have gone from day to night. That would have yeah. been interesting. Right. Like something, but it was yeah. really... It, was it felt so like short. half a ride, like, really? <laughs> that was it? <laughs> yeah, it was done. We were yeah. like, oh my goodness, okay. It was beautiful. Yes. It's, and it's re-rideable because there's so much to see. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah. Wait, that was a lot for a very short period well, of time. And to add on to that, it also doesn't have a plot. Mm-mm. Right. Nope. At all. You were just in no a story. world... Passing by as as just a viewer. Interesting things. Yes. (laughs) And basically, I think the plot, the the idea is that the shaman, right, shaman, Mm -hmm. is singing and bringing the song. Like, it's to show that the Navi are so connected to the the planet Mm -hmm. that it's a very symbiotic relationship. So as the Navi sings, as she sings, she is basically uh, rejuvenating life. And the life Mm -hmm. is like sprouting out from from the song mm-hmm. and you can see that kind of in the glowing as you get closer to her everything oh, is true. more vibrant mm-hmm. right? but and there's like glowing things that yes. come off on the walls right. and stuff yes. too like radiating from that song vines spot. and stuff yes. it looks like yeah. so and that's like the center even though it's like the end of the ride it is it's, the end of the ride <laughs> <laughs> I just, you go around the corner and then you're done yeah. Yeah. but um, but basically that's the idea is that oh this is to show how connected yeah. the world is but again but, just as a you, you wouldn't know that you're just experiencing no you'd have to read that online yes <laughs> <laughs> yes very good point <laughs> yeah and i mean a lot of thought and detail and effort was oh, put yeah. into it and the in the land itself which is incredible yeah it is um, it's worth going day, daytime and nighttime just to look around it's incredible yeah absolutely so if you haven't seen the ride or the land I mean, there are tons of YouTube uh, mm-hmm. videos, but in particular, um, for the Navi River Journey on allears.net, they have a video about the ride, and they go into more detail about 
the ride itself, what went into it, um, and they take you on the ride as well. So I know it's kind of hard to see with them, like however way they um, recorded camera. it, yeah, versus being in person. Being in person is always best. Yeah. It would be neat for me to go see right. what you know, what that's like even. Yeah, but you get a taste of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, go check it out next time you're there. Well, one time of year that I never want to go to Disney is July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's because I don't like heat. And July at Disney is crazy heat. I'm talking about Christmas in July for my topic. And it's interesting because when we posted about Leon Day from the holiday moons onto social media, onto Facebook and things, you know, you always get those grumpy gusses who are like, oh, it's too early, not yet. It's like, hush, enjoy. (laughs) So we enjoy Christmas in July. We enjoy Christmas in June. Yeah. We just enjoy Christmas. It's just a fun time of year. Yeah. We don't limit Christmas in our household. (laughs) We embrace it. That's right. So Christmas in July is a whimsical combination of Christmas and summertime. Like we said earlier, it is actually not halfway through the year. It is not six months from Christmas. That was, I guess, the whole month of July. So it's not too far off if you start in the early July. But the trend has been growing more and more. I even saw um, Little Debbie has Christmas in July tree cakes. Oh, Oh, nice. Isn't that hilarious? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So funny. So I'm going to be talking about different categories that Christmas in July encapsulates. They are going to be food, elf on a shelf. Extras and novelties, decorating and DIY projects, and activities. Fun. Today I'm going to talk about just two. Food and Elf on a Shelf. So I found so many awesome Christmas in July foods. When I started researching this, I was thinking that you just do Christmas except in July. And that is... Is that not true? That is not entirely true. Very creative people out there have found ways to add summertime into that, which I found very fun. One of the first things that I saw was frozen hot chocolate, making your own frozen hot chocolate. It says by pouring about three quarters of a cup of milk and a couple packets of traditional hot cocoa into a blender, as well as a couple of cups of crushed ice. Blend it all up, serve it in a fancy glass with a Christmas colored paper straw and paper umbrella. Oh, fun. So that's, you know, a summertime twist on hot chocolate. And they said a single batch should serve at least two to four people. I guess that depends on how big your glasses are. (laughs) And feel free to play around with the ratio of cocoa mix to milk in order to get the right chocolatey taste you prefer. Thank you. That is good information. But that's the kind of creativity that I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of good ideas. One of the other things that I found, now these actually could be used at... Christmas time, these two things, which I thought were amazing. One was a uh, cheese Christmas wreath, holiday cheddar wreath, they call it, in which you take canned, I think it's French bread, take the two cans, take them out of them, bring them together, pinch the ends together, and bake them. It's going to bake a wreath, yes. And then you just take the top, once it's cooled down, you take the top layer of bread out and make like a little trough not too deep but then that's where you're going to put your cheese and some cherry tomatoes yellow and red cherry tomatoes but what they also did was they took skewers 
and punch skewers in the bread. This is before you put the cheese on it. Sorry, I'm all over the place here. And you snip fresh rosemary into oh, short okay. lengths. You poke holes in the side of the bread with a wooden skewer. Insert the rosemary sprig shorter on the top, longer underneath. Place the platter in a plastic bag and refrigerate until ready to serve. So it ends up looking like a Christmas wreath with cheese on top. Yep. And it's all edible. Now, I mean, as you cut this up, you're going to not want to eat the fresh rosemary. <laughs> it's more for decoration. You can if you want, if you like to munch on fresh rosemary. <laughs> but it's just lovely. It's just adorable. And the other one is like it. It's a cheese Christmas tree, which is basically on a platter. Yeah, but, but the difference is like the wreath is like three-dimensional. The Christmas tree is like a flat one-dimensional. Exactly. You just arrange cubes or, in I rows. I guess it would be two-dimensional, not one-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> For the um, cheddar tree, you just form cubes into rows to form the tree shape on a large platter or cutting board. But I thought this was a good idea. They use different flavors of cheese for each level of the Christmas tree. So I thought that was kind of a good idea. And then you can use fresh thyme and layer it over it like garland. And then again, use your cherry tomatoes, yellow and red cherry tomatoes in there to add some Christmas tree kind of uh, decorations. And you can cut out a star for the top, a cheddar star. So those are things I'm actually going to keep. Because they, I could do that at Christmas time, too. Yeah, I like the wreath one. Wow. Mm-hmm. I do, too. It's so unique. Mm-hmm. I was like, that looks so interesting. Yeah. This was, I thought, adorable. It is adorable. It is making melted snowman cookies. <laughs> it is so freaking cute. You make your sugar cookie or buy sugar cookies big enough to have a large marshmallow on top and have it not take up the whole cookie. It yeah. has to be big enough. It has to be round. It has to be round. So you frost the cookie, and this is meant to be a melting snowman. So you can, like, make extra little drips. This isn't like you're trying to make a perfectly round icing on a round cookie. You're going to want it to drip a little on the edges and be a little less, you know, you're not going to want it to be perfectly circular. Enough to that you can understand that it's a melted snowman. You're going to put your... It is white icing because it's your, you're melting a snowman. And they said next you need a large marshmallow for the head. The marshmallows need to be slightly melted in the microwave. And I didn't even think about that at all. But if you, if you do that a little bit, it'll help it stick on the cookie. Yep. As well as help with the continue the theme of the melted snowman. So she said she did it one at a time. She zapped them one at a time for five seconds and then two or three more seconds if she needed it. And then just stuck it on there. So I thought that was very clever. Just use black gel. You know the frosting gel that you get at any store? She got black and orange for the eyes and the mouth. And the nose is the orange. And then she got a couple other colors for the scarves. Yeah. And And the black is also used for the little arms. What what are the buttons? They're M&M's. Oh, okay. Ah. Mini M&M's are the buttons. And she showed that at first she put the buttons in a straight line and it wasn't as cute. Yeah. So she kind of offset them then. So they look more like they're melting. Everything's sliding off of the... And and the little arms are just put on the cookie on the either side. Like they're not attached. It's just adorable. I would... If I were you, I'd look it up. Melted snowman cookies. I mean, if you're creative, you can think them up yourself. See, here's the, here's the cookie with the three. Straight, I guess not yeah. as 
And it's just not. And even the I like that when they use a mouth, which is a line instead of like a they have some with a mouth that's a circle. It just looks like three circles. Right, and he's supposed to be going ooh. Right, but when you put the nose on, then it makes a big difference. It does, but I do like the little smile because I think when you have the mouth looking like an O, you feel a little bad for that snowman. (laughs) And the smile, smiling, but his smile is also crooked. Yeah, it's sliding too. Exactly. (laughs) So that's it's fun. altogether adorable. And I was like, this is the kind of stuff that's fun. That would be a fun Christmas in July treat. Yeah. If you want to go healthy, watermelon Christmas trees. Oh. So you cut your watermelon lengthwise into quarters. Mm-hmm. Then you take one inch sections and just cut them. And then what you're going to do is take the rind and cut off the, a third on the right and a third on the left. So it ends up looking like a watermelon with a trunk. And the, the trunk rind is, is the trunk. Yeah, the rind is the trunk of the tree. And it is adorable. Again, using your summer fruit yep. with a Christmas theme. Yep, very cute and I'm easy. Like, and easy and delicious, Probably especially little messy, for little kids. But easy. But the person that I got this from was saying she has she had a five year old and it was perfect for their little hands. Mm-hmm. The other one, and this is before I found these super creative people, were Christmas Santa crackers. But that's you could do that at Christmas time too. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot out there. So if you wanted to have a Christmas in July party and you wanted to get some food and really make it a fun time for your guests, there's a lot of options out there. So. Hats off to those people, and there's a lot of them, a lot of blogs out there, a lot of ideas. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about is Elf on a Shelf. Okay, let me start by saying our kids never did Elf on a Shelf. This came after their childhood. Oh, really? The the concept of Elf on a Shelf being this big thing came after your guys' childhood. Right. The elves being on the shelves were (laughs) around since, like, the 50s. Right. Right. But um, Elf on a Shelf, where... There's They're like posed in different and... things each night, and the elf is getting into mischief, and he's doing different things. But he's every also night. watching you for Santa. He's also like right. Santa's little, you know, spy. spy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I grew up, we were always told that the elves were watching us. Like yeah, we but, did... but, but never were we told that it was that elf. No, no, <laughs> we weren't. That's true. That's true. true. But nevertheless, some people might say, "I do enough elf on the shelf at Christmas time." It's too much. Other people might be like, oh my goodness. Because it works for the kids love it, right? Kids love it. And you can always tell them, this is the little checkup. He's he's here to see how good yeah. you've been and how good, you know, if you have that good thing going on. But some of this stuff is 100% adorable. I got this big, <laughs> I made a ginormous picture of this one because <laughs> it's so stinking cute. And... What they did was they have a little tiny white box that um, that makes it look like a cooler. And they took Mike and Ikes. And it looks like they took toothpicks and just cut them. And inserted them into the Mike and Ikes. And the Mike and Ikes are the perfect size and shape for an elf popsicle. Oh, that's funny. So... Here, he's here with this little... Well, he, there's an elf on the shelf and a little tiny elf... And they're here with a quote-unquote cooler, a little small container, with these Mike and Ikes on toothpicks, little tiny toothpicks, that look like they're offering people... So it just looks like a little scene, like the 
Which two is what elves, they do. Little shelf, elf on the shelf are sitting on this little bench. They have this cooler in between them that's filled with popsicles, different and, colored popsicles. Yeah. And this one elf is um, holding sunscreen. Right. It looks like there's a pool <laughs> behind so them. Yeah. That's really cute. It's it's so adorable. I'm like, what are they? Are they jelly beans? What are they? They look exactly like popsicles. What do you do? And then I started reading it, and underneath it was like, elf-sized popsicles made out of Mykonikes, the perfect poolside treat. And I'm like... I think they're right. <laughs> Another idea is to pull the bubbles out. Have your elf on the shelf with bubbles and have some more bubbles underneath that the kids can then take out and play with throughout the day. Another scene is to grow flowers and edible dirt. So you'd have artificial flowers. So when the kids get up, you'd have the, you know, a cup, whatever, however many glasses of dirt with a flower stuck in each one. And basically, these are just chocolate cookies in a blender. So oh, they're okay. like Oreos or whatever chocolate cookie you want. Put them in a blender, stick it in clear glasses so you can see that it's dirt, and then just put an artificial flower in each one. And then on the end, you know, you're catching him doing it because he has a flower and it's not quite in the dirt yet. Another one is a sandcastle. So you have a little scene. You get little tiny sunglasses. Put them on your elf on the shelf. Some shells, some sand. You have them on a little chase lounge or make your little chase lounge. I think people get very creative here. Um, <laughs> there's like a little shark next to him. Just sitting and enjoying his sandcastle. Another one is a camping trip. So you have an elf and a camping trip. So all of these things are things that you would do in the summer and that the elf would do in the summer while he's visiting you in July. So that's kind of the stuff that people are cleverly coming up with to... Enjoy their Christmas in July antics and fun. And I'm, I'm excited to tell you in the next podcast more about what's available to do. I didn't even know. I was just blown away by what all is available for a Christmas in July. I really just thought it was like pulling out some Christmas stuff. Yeah, and too. I'm like, I love Christmas, but I really don't want to pull out my, all my Christmas stuff. But you can do it other ways. You can, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. very. And fun. not all of them. Like you could just do one thing. You didn't have to do all of them. Right. And you don't have to think it all yourself. You can use resources online to help you think of things. So very many. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Very fun and creative way to do Christmas in July. Thanks. Our future festivities are for the week of July thirteenth. July thirteenth is National French Fries Day. July fourteenth is Bastille Day. July fifteenth is National Hot Dog Day. July 16th is World Snake Day. July 17th, World Emoji Day. July 18th is National Sour Candy Day. And July 19th, my favorite, is National Ice Cream Day. (laughs) Fun. You can follow us on social medias by following us on Twitter at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we are at holiday moons, one word. You can find us on Facebook by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Randy, Sydney, and Beth, Merry Merry Christmas Christmas in July.
Nah. 